Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6, and you'll find this on page 258 in the church Bibles. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio the sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart. With the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of God had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, 
each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord, who chose me above your father and above all his house, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord. And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken by them, I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. There are lots of moments in our experience. Uh, All moments uh, are filled with significance and meaning. But there are particular moments that are filled with great meaning. And this evening, as we uh, turn back to 2 Samuel, we are looking at a, a significant moment in the history of the nation of Israel. It is the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it is telling us something about the people's encounter with God. And to encounter God is an awesome thing. And by awesome, I mean very much what the word means, to be filled with awe. To encounter encounter God is something that should cause us to be filled with reverence, Uh, but also with joy. And the psalmist himself highlights that, doesn't he, in Psalm 2, that we are to come to the Lord with, with rejoicing, but also with trembling. That the two ideas are not polar opposites, but that when we think about encountering God, both are true. That it is something that should cause us to tremble because we are coming before a great and awesome God. But it is also something that should cause us to be filled with joy because the God before whom we encounter is the source of all goodness and blessing. And we see that in this chapter. We see both of those married together in this encounter with a living God as the Ark of the Covenant is brought up into Jerusalem. And so this evening we want to see that because God is willing to make his presence with his people, it ought to fill us both with a sense of reverence and with joy, with fear and trembling, but also with joy and gladness. We are told that after the death of Saul, that David became king over the tribe of Judah. You remember that it was only one tribe that anointed David as king. And for the next seven and a half years, there was that delay before the rest of the tribes accepted David as king, before they came to their senses and embrace the promise that was given to David. We know that the promise was about you. And so eventually they came and they were united under David. And we highlighted how Jerusalem became a place of prominence because it was Jerusalem that his kingdom would be centralized under. The capital would be in Jerusalem. But now that Jerusalem becomes the city of David, it is also Jerusalem that David intends to bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, to. He wants the Ark to be at the forefront of the kingdom of Israel. 
no longer in the periphery, but now center stage at the forefront of the nation and understanding that the people are under the rule of God, that they are to be reigned by the Lord of hosts. And so we are uh, looking at this intention of David of bringing the ark into Jerusalem. What was the ark, though? Uh, The ark of the covenant was a gold-plated wooden box. It was a sacred box that symbolized God's presence with his people. Uh, It was uh, just over three and a half feet long and just over two feet in terms of width and height. And so this sacred ark or this sacred box represented the very presence of God with his people. It it communicated God's presence with them. As the psalmist says in Psalm 99, the Lord sits enthroned upon the cherubim. The cherubim were those creatures that were overshadowing the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And it says the Lord reigns. He sits enthroned above the cherubim. That God's presence, his rule was communicated via that that sacred item of the ark itself. But the ark also represented God's covenant with the people of Israel, that he was binding himself in relationship with these people, that he, he was showing them how they were to live in covenant with them. And so they, the, the ark within the ark had the law of God, and it told them how they were to honor the Lord and how they were to have communion with God by submitting to his commands. But the ark also had that mercy seat on the top, which communicated the means by which the people could be restored to fellowship, where mercy could be found. And so the the ark of the covenant was significant in all that it conveyed. God's presence, God's covenant, it signified the relationship between God and his people. But you remember that in the book of Samuel, we have uh, followed something of the trajectory of the ark as well. You remember in 1 Samuel, there was a battle between Israel and the Philistines. And in one of those battles, the Philistines won a great victory. And we are told that the Philistines took the ark as a result. They took it like a trophy and they took it back to their own territory, celebrating that their God, the God of the Philistines, had defeated the God of Israel. Eventually, God brought judgment on the Philistines for mocking him like this and crushed their idol in their own temple. And the Philistines were humbled to the point that they ultimately sent that ark back to the land of Israel. And it came back uh, into the territory of Israel. But when it did, the Israelites looked into the ark and God's judgment came upon them. And as a result of all of this, the ark was last located and last left with the house of Abinadab. And it stayed there for many, many years. In fact, during the entire reign of Saul, the ark stayed there. And it tells us in the book of Chronicles that during Saul's reign, the ark was not consulted. Saul wasn't even concerned about the ark, which was a reflection of his reign. He was not concerned about God's covenant. He was not living under the authority of God. Instead, Saul's rule, his life, was independent of God's authority. But now a different king has emerged. And David, as he begins his reign over all of Israel, 
he is acknowledging that ultimately the Lord is king over his people. And so the ark must be brought to the forefront. And this is why David is doing what he is doing. But as we come to this passage this evening, uh, we are looking at uh, two events in particular about the ark coming to Jerusalem. We are looking at an error that took place. And then we are looking at the enthusiasm about what is achieved. First, there is the error that took place, the failed attempt to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And then secondly, there is the fulfilled attempt when they actually did bring the ark in. And so we want to look at this chapter and those two thoughts. As the ark is being brought in, there's a a serious error that happens. Uh, And then secondly, there is the enthusiasm about what is accomplished. First, then, we have the error. We're told that David gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. This was a moment of great significance. And David wanted all of Israel to be represented as they brought the ark to the forefront of the life of Israel, as they brought it into the city of Jerusalem. And as he does this, he brings and involves uh, the people collectively. And we're told that they went to the house of Abinadab. And now the ark is under the care, the governance of his sons. And as they come, they put the ark on a new cart and then they escort it or they are uh, parading it ultimately to the city of Jerusalem. And uh, this is uh, really a, a moment of great joy. As you read it, it is, it is a, a, a time and an occasion of celebration. Uh, you, uh, as you read it, it is all the notes of it are cheerful and, and triumphant. Uh, we are told that they were using instruments made out of fir wood. And this great crowd of Israel that is escorting the ark are celebrating what has taken place. It is a joyous occasion. And you can imagine the energy and the excitement as they make their way towards Jerusalem. But we're told in verse 6 that when they uh, came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down because of his error. In a moment, everything turned dark. Because a moment of error changed the tone for everyone. One moment they were celebrating and joyful at what was taking place. The Ark of the Covenant was being brought to Jerusalem. Things were taking shape in the nation of Israel. God was being given the prominence that uh, they wanted to give to him. But in a moment, God's judgment comes down on Uzzah. And he's struck down and he dies because of his error. It tells us. What was his error? His error is is that he touched the Ark of the Covenant. The book of Chronicles makes that explicit. That his, his, uh, his foolishness was in touching the Ark. Does that not strike you as overly harsh or severe? It may strike many of us or may seem to many of us as a very harsh reality, a harsh thing for God to have done. But as one person has pointed out, this is a reminder to us that the God of the Bible is not the God of our own imaginations or one that is easily promoted or uh, uh, shared with others. But rather, this is the living God 
who is to be taken seriously. And God is jealous for his holiness. But why is it that Uzzah was struck down? Why did he die uh, this way right there uh, at the threshing floor of Nacon? He, he was struck down by God, not because God's anger is explosive, not because God is ab- irrational, but rather he was struck down because he had violated God's law. The book of Numbers explicitly warns, the law of God explicitly warned that the Ark of the Covenant was not to be looked into, but neither was it to be touched, lest one dies. It was very clear that the Ark of the Covenant was not to be touched. But when Uzzah was uh, coming in contact with the, the Ark, he was violating God's law. But he was also disregarding the holiness of God. In that moment, Uzzah was reaching at the, ark, uh, at the cart. The, the oxen had stumbled. The cart rocked. The ark is wobbling. And he reaches out to prevent it from falling. Why? Because he wanted to prevent it from coming in contact with the filth of the ground. With the dirt. He wanted to prevent it from being soiled by the dirt. But the truth was is that the dirt or the filth of his hands was greater than the filth and the dirt of the ground. That Uzzah was missing the fact that he has to treat God as holy. And that in reaching out and in contacting the ark, he was violating God's law. He was disregarding the difference between God who is holy and he who is a sinner. He was disregarding the reality of who he is before this God and how he is to approach him. And so God's wrath against Uzzah was not arbitrary. It was the stated end for breaking God's law. God will be honored as holy. And in this instance, God's wrath was revealed as the appointed end for violating his law. This all might seem very extreme, that God would judge someone simply for touching the ark. But if it seems extreme to us, it is probably because of the way we think about sin. It's easy to think about sin in terms of the practical impact it has on other people. When I made that decision, it hurt that person. Or we think about sin in terms of foolishness. When I made that action, it it had a bad impact. The result of it, I see now, was not good. But sin must be looked at in relation to God. It must be looked at as how it impacts or how it treats God. And here, Uzzah's actions are a violation of the rule of God in his life. That he is not honoring the Lord himself. And so God's wrath that is poured out in this instance against Uzzah is the appropriate end. That's what scripture teaches. Sin deserves God's judgment. That the end of sin is death. As Paul said, the wages of sin is death. And so all of this really just confronts us with not only our understanding of the holiness of God, but how do we think about the seriousness of sin? Do we simply say everyone sins, so therefore it's not a big deal? Or do we come away realizing that sin deserves God's judgment? That really what is astonishing about this is that we see here 
what every sin deserves. We don't see God judging every sin. But here he does show what sin deserves. And to us, we are given the opportunity to repent. We are given the opportunity to see the weightiness of sin so that we would seek the Lord's mercy. But all the while, we are seeing something of the Lord dealing his judgment for his error. So how did this whole thing take such a turn for the worse? One moment they were celebrating. A great company of people were celebrating the ark coming into Jerusalem. The next moment, God's judgment has come upon them. How did this all come about? And the reason it came about is because Uzzah touched the ark. But Uzzah touched the ark because the oxen stumbled. But the oxen should never have had the ark in the first place. Two times there in verse 3, you notice that the book of Samuel highlights that they put the ark on a new cart. But the law of God was explicit that the ark was not to be put on a new cart. The ark was to be covered whenever it was transported. And then after it was covered, they were to put poles through the rings on the sides of the ark. Then there was a particular tribe of the Levites who were to pick up the poles and to hold it on their shoulders, and then they were to carry it without coming in contact with the ark. This should never have happened, but it all spiraled out of hand. It all snowballed because the people were not following God's word. That ever since the ark had come back into the land of Israel, it had been with the house of Abinadab, but the people were no longer uh, following God's word with how they handled the work, the ark of God. And so none of this should have happened if they had have honored God's law, which impresses upon us that when we encounter the living God, we must be regulated by how we approach this God. We can't just come casually or carelessly any way we want to, but we must come according to God's regulations. We must be governed by God's word. Here, God's judgment came against the very people of God because they did not honor him as holy. You notice there in verse 8, I believe, David uh, becomes angry, and he becomes angry because the Lord had burst forth against them. It's the same words that were used back in chapter 5 about the Philistines. You remember how David celebrated that the Lord burst forth like a flood against the Philistines. The Lord had brought his judgment on them. But now David is angry because he sees that God's judgment comes even against the covenant people of Israel when they don't honor the Lord as holy. And so here we see God's wrath that is appropriate because it is in violation of his laws. The people should never have put the ark on the cart, but they weren't being governed by God's laws. And as a result, this man Uzzah was struck down. No doubt their intentions were good. They were celebrating. They were joyful. But God wants to be honored, as it said earlier in the book of Samuel, that obedience is better than sacrifice. So David became angry, and as a result, he did not want to take the ark up, but he set it, turned it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, uh, the Gittite. So we see the error in their failed attempt. The failed attempt took place because they put the ark on a new cart. 
They weren't being governed by God's word, and they did not honor the Lord's word. But then we see the enthusiasm that takes place in their fulfilled attempt. The second attempt goes much better, and the ark is brought ultimately to Jerusalem. In verses uh, 12 and following, it says that a report came to David. The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And so all of a sudden there's this revived interest, a revived desire in David to now bring the ark to Jerusalem. God's wrath made David recoil. But knowing God's goodness and blessing compelled him, overwhelmed him or conquered him to say, even so, I must be in the presence of God. We must have God's presence among us. And so David again revives his interest to bring the ark up from God. And you notice this time there is no mention of a, of a cart. In fact, it tells us there in verse 13 that they bore it, meaning that they carried it. And the book of Chronicles becomes even more explicit. It tells us in 1 Chronicles 15, the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of God. And so they offered up sacrifices acknowledging their error and they obeyed God's word. When the ark came into the city, David danced before the Lord with all his might and he was celebrating as the triumphant king whose presence establishes blessing and prosperity to the people is made known. And so we see the enthusiasm of David being displayed as he dances before the Lord, as he celebrates uh, and gives out gifts to the people of Israel, seeing himself as the recipient of God's gifts. He extends gifts and blessings to others. And so David's response to all of this, again, marries those two aspects, doesn't it? That David himself shows both reverence and joy, that he is regulated by God's word, but he is also joyful at what is taking place. He, there is joy because he is in the Lord's presence, and there is reverence as he recognizes the glory of God in the way that he approaches. The two belong together. I was recently listening to a podcast, and in the podcast, one of the hosts raised an important question. He says, what do you show that you are really excited about? What do you show that you're really excited about? By the way that you talk and the way that you act, the choices that you're making, what stands out? What would other people come away with thinking? That's what they really enjoy. Maybe you've had a conversation with someone at some point and then you bring up some topic and it just lights them up. Now they're ready to talk. Now they're interested. You see the energy in them. And you think about that question, what is it that others would recognize as really exciting to us? It should be the Lord. David here was not somber or stoic. David delighted in the fact that God's presence and favor was with his people. And that should be true even of us. We should be people who are marked with joy, knowing God's presence and favor uh, in and through his son, the Lord Jesus. That we should be people who are characterized by that uh, sense of rejoicing and celebration. In the podcast, he went on to ask the question, he said, uh, uh, for those who have kids, what are you showing your kids that you are really excited about? 
How would our kids come away thinking of us in terms of what we talk about or what we like to focus on? Do we show others that what we're really excited is about our toys or is about knowing God? And even if we don't have kids, what do we show in terms of the way we conduct ourselves about what is it that really gives us joy in this life? Here, David was celebrating. He was dancing with all energy about the ark of God coming into Jerusalem. The ark represented God's presence. We don't gather to celebrate a physical box coming into our midst. We come celebrating that what the ark represented has come into our midst. That the ark of God incarnate is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the presence of God. You remember back in verse 2, it tells us what the ark was. The ark is that which is called by the name the Lord of hosts. But in the fullness of time, the ark came and took on a human flesh. And he has the name that is above every name, Paul says in Philippians 2. And in him, the fullness or the wholeness of deity dwells bodily. God's presence has been made known in Jesus. And in Jesus, we find the source of goodness and blessing. Our hopes are tied to him. And what should fill us with joy is knowing God's favor in Christ. That God has drawn near. He has made a way in which we can be in his presence and enjoy his favor. And that should be the source of all joys in this life. That everything should come back to the fact that God is with us. And God is for us in Christ. That with the Lord Jesus on our side, we have security. We have peace with God. That is what should fill us with joy. Does it fill you with joy? Are we people that focus simply on our duty? Or are we people that can also celebrate and be marked with joy as we think about God's works and his unfolding purpose? So there is the enthusiasm which was displayed in David. But there's also the enthusiasm which was despised by Michael. In verses 16 to the end, we are told about another reaction to these developments. Michael, that is David's wife, but she is here mentioned only as the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw David leaping and dancing, and she despised him in her heart. She saw him as no worth, in other words. She looked down on David for what he was doing. She even re rebukes him, saying that he uncovered himself before the servants of the female servants. David, you're making a fool of yourself out there. How so? David was dancing, and David was wearing the linen ephod, the garment that is often associated with priests. But what is key there is, is that David is not addressed in his royal robes. In this context, David takes the subordinate position as he recognizes that the king has come in the midst. And so David is leaping for joy, and he is doing all these things before the Lord. But for Michael, this is foolishness. Because to her, she is living without reference to the glory of God. But David explains to her that what he is doing is not for them. He is doing it before the Lord. 
what he is doing is honoring God. And he will celebrate his God. And so what appears to be foolish to one person is appropriate in the other based on whether or not they live with reference to the Lord. For someone who is living without reference to the Lord, this would seem foolish to act in a way that is unbecoming of a king. You see, as one person points out, there was uh, Michael had a view of the glory of a king, and that was not it. That's not how a king should act. You should have more self-dignity than that, David. You have to think about your own pride and ego. You have to maintain yourself before others. And David was saying, I'll make myself even more contemptible than this. I'll go even lower. Because what my concern is, is that God would be lifted higher. And so there is a difference of perspective. What is the focus? Is it about my own image? Or is it about celebrating the God who is? David was willing to be made less because he wanted the glory of God to be exalted. Can you say that this evening? Are you willing to be mocked or looked down upon by others? Don't you have any self-pride? Are you actually going to live this way? How restraining. Are you actually going to live trusting in something about the afterlife? Don't you have more self-dignity than this? Or are you someone that is willing to exalt God even when you're mocked and accused and looked down upon by others? David was willing to be humbled because his concern was the glory of God. This is much like what we were reading in Philippians, wasn't it? The Son of God, who though he was in the form of God, humbled himself and took the form of a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death because his purpose was to exalt the glory of God in saving sinners. It was to bring salvation. What some people looked at with disdain those who honor the Lord would recognize and honor him. The bringing of the ark into Jerusalem was an awesome development in God's purposes. The true king was God himself, and David was willing to be thought of as less in order that God would be exalted. May it be the same in our lives. May we be people who are willing to be made less because we're celebrating what God has done. May we be people who are filled with both joy and trembling, knowing the living God is to be given all honor and praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would uh, cause us to be people who are shaped by your truth, that we would be people who are honoring your word and honoring your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the word incarnate, and we pray, Lord, as well, that we would uh, be willing to be uh, uh, taking a low position uh, as long as it is to celebrate and to magnify our God. Go before us, we pray, in Jesus' name.